Welcome into Locked On Blackhawks for Tuesday, October 8th, 2019. It is Jay Zawoski with you here on Locked On Blackhawks. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for a great first week and one day. It's been six shows so far, and the reaction and the feedback has been extremely positive. Very much appreciate the support early on. And the best way to support this podcast, or really any podcast, is to tell a friend. You got someone who loves the Blackhawks? Let them know. They'll tell a friend. They'll tell a friend, and so on and so on. And uh, everyone's happy. Everyone, uh, you know, enjoys the podcast, and it grows, and it gets more and more popular. And I am catapulted to superstardom, and I leave all you people in the dust. No, that's not going to happen. I love doing the podcast. I look forward to it every day. So thanks for tuning in. But yeah, tell a friend. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure you rate and review uh, five stars, obviously. Don't give me a bad rating. I don't want that. But if you got some nice stuff to say, four-star, five-star rating, especially those five-star ratings, they go a long way. So we definitely appreciate it. Follow the podcast on Twitter at LO underscore Blackhawks. Send me an email at LockedOnBlackhawks at gmail.com. Leave me a voicemail. Got a couple voicemails today. Very happy about that. 708-653-0572. We do voicemails and emails on Mondays, Mailbag Mondays. If you missed it, did that on uh, on Monday, the show from uh, yesterday. So check those out. We had some good email questions on there. Uh, if you want to follow my personal account on Twitter, it's at jzawoski670. There you can also follow my weekly longer-form Blackhawks podcast, the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast at Madhouse Pod. So we've got some injury news to get to today. Jeremy Cowton spoke at practice and updated the status of two defensemen, Connor Murphy and Calvin DeHaan. Connor uh, has had a couple days skating now and says he feels great, so just wait and see for Thursday. Yeah, it's, um, he looked good today, and it's definitely a positive and uh, good that he, you know, even after practice, from what I understand, he felt good. So, um, yeah, we'll see though. I was gonna say same on Dahan. Yeah, with Dahan, um, you know, we he is close. We just can't really get over get over that last hump. So um, rest a couple of days off here, kind of part of the plan to give him that last push. So um, we'll see. That audio, courtesy of ChicagoBlackhawks.com. We thank them for that. Uh, so it sounds like Connor Murphy is a little closer than Calvin DeHaan. Uh, the fact that Dennis Gilbert was sent down to Rockford this weekend means that they probably expect that Connor Murphy will be in the lineup on Thursday for the home opener against the San Jose Sharks. He was paired with Slater Cuckoo during practice today. Uh, the lines didn't change much. We'll get to that in the next segment. But it's encouraging that Connor Murphy's back and that uh, Calvin DeHaan, even though they seem a little frustrated they can't get over this last hump, as Jeremy Cowton put it, um, he's close too. So I'm I'm very excited to see what this defensive core is going to look like when it's at full strength. Slater Cuckoo has been fine. He actually led the Hawks defenseman in Corsi in the season opener. It's one game. It's a small sample size. There's a lot of things that go into that number, but he had a pretty successful debut. But I do think in an ideal world, and I've said this before, and I'm sure you all agree, or most of you agree, that he's probably ideally a number six or number seven defenseman, very much looking forward to getting DeHaan and Murphy back. But with Murphy coming back, likely on Thursday, even though Jeremy Cowton played coy, as he typically does, um, you're getting back the guy I probably trust the most purely defensively. I think Connor Murphy, over his first few seasons with the Blackhawks, has had to overcome 
the uh, the guy he was traded for, Nicholas Jalmerson, was a beloved Blackhawk, and with and for good reason. He was a steady part of three Stanley Cup championships. He was an unsung hero, and I think longtime hockey fans and people that really watched the game, you know, eighty-two games and playoffs, really appreciated what Nicholas Jalmerson brought. Maybe he wasn't a household name to most people around town, but to hockey fans, he absolutely was. So Connor Murphy has sort of had to overcome. The fact that he was traded for a guy that was so beloved. He never got over that hump with Joel Quenville because Nicholas Jalmerson was Coach Q's guy. Murphy's going to bring stability. He's a guy that can play on all three units, but he's going to help the penalty kill for sure. So they're better with him in the lineup. As far as Calvin DeHaan goes, I think Jeremy Calton sort of alluded to it. They wanted to get him back, but at the same time, there's no point in rushing him to get him in a game or two earlier than he might be ready to go. The Hawks have a lot of games coming up here. I know it's felt like an eternity since the Blackhawks have played, and with good reason. It really has been an eternity since the Blackhawks have played. But they play Thursday, then they play Saturday, then they play Monday. Then again, they don't play until the next Friday. So I would think that Friday game on the 18th against the Columbus Blue Jackets, if I just sort of had to guess what they're targeting for Calvin Hahn, that might be the spot. That might be the game the Hawks are targeting. It gives them some time to ease him back in, get him some rest, and then have him ready. Because after that Columbus game, they've got a game every other day. They play Friday, Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday. So they're going to need him for that stretch. By the way, those one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games I mentioned, all at home. San Jose, Winnipeg, Edmonton, Columbus, Washington, Vegas, and Philly. You're going to want to win the majority of those games because later in the season, it's going to get road heavy, especially in the month of February. It's very road heavy for the Blackhawks. So to get fat on those first seven home games, uh, that would be a very, very good thing for the Blackhawks. Cowan also spoke about Kirby Doc's status. What's your guess thought with Kirby at this point? Did he play Thursday? Or um. I think he. We would like to get him up to speed a little more, get him back home here. And we had, you know, today was a good full practice for him. It's tough over there. Uh, we did practice. I'm not sure. You know, it wasn't uh, you know, the high intensity, at least all the days that we would like to get him back up to. We want to give him the best opportunity to step right in and help us. So um, I wouldn't. I don't think he'll be playing Thursday. I think it's interesting that the Hawks weren't really able to practice at full speed, full intensity when they're over in Europe. Now that they're back home, they will ramp up the intensity for Kirby Doc. It does sound like he is in the plans to play. They're not saying, then we'll make a decision. No, they're saying before he plays, we got to get him up to speed endurance-wise. So to me, the big question we've been asking for a while now is will Kirby Doc play when he's healthy? It sure as hell sounds like it to me. That to me, hearing from Jeremy Cotton, just sounds definitive. As in, as soon as he's healthy and as soon as he's up to speed, he's going to be in the lineup. We want to put him in there in the best place where he can be to contribute. That's great. That's all I've wanted to hear is that he's going to get a look and he's going to get a chance. And Stan Bowman has sort of danced around it and said, yeah, you know, we'd like to and things like that. But now you're hearing definitively when he's ready, he will play. However many games that means, we don't know. I've mentioned before, I'm sure most of you know this already, but the Hawks can play him for nine games before they need to decide to burn that first year of his deal or send him back to Saskatoon. 
So I would say he's playing at least nine games here before they may have to make that call. But I'd be surprised, just based on what I've seen from Kirby Doc so far, if he's not part of the season from the day he's healthy going forward. If you're like me, there's nothing better than a night out seeing your favorite band or sports team. Whether it's a concert or a game, nothing beats being in the building, right? Vivid Seats is the place for tickets to all the live events you want to see. You can sort by price or cherry pick the exact seats you want in the section or row of your choice, all in the Vivid Seats app. Vivid Seats has a new loyalty program as well. It's called Vivid Seats Rewards. With Vivid Seats Rewards, you can attend the concert or game you want and earn credit towards the next live event on your radar. With reward statuses ranging from MVP to Hall of Famer, customers can earn credit towards their next purchase. Go to the App Store or Google Play, and download the Vivid Seats app now. Fans are automatically enrolled in the Vivid Seats Rewards loyalty program. Every purchase is backed by a 100% buyer guarantee. From the biggest concerts and games to the hottest theater shows and more, Vivid Seats has it all. Download the app, join the Vivid Seats Rewards loyalty program today, make a memory that lasts a lifetime, and let the Vivid Seats app help you get to your favorite live event. Enter promo code POSTSEASON at checkout to receive a discount of up to $100. It is Locked On Blackhawks on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jay Zawoski with you here. I want to go over the line combinations from practice today, and I find it interesting that there aren't any changes from what we saw Friday as the Blackhawks lined up in Prague. Up front, you had the Jonathan Taves line. He was centering Alex Nylander and Patrick Kane. Dylan Strom centering Alex DeBrinkett and Andrew Shaw. Third line, David Kampf centering Brandon Saad and Dominic Kubelik. And the fourth line, Ryan Carpenter centering Drake Kajula and Zach Smith. On defense, you had Duncan Keith and Eric Gustafson. You had Oli Mata and Brent Seabrook. And you had Connor Murphy and Slater Cuckoo as that third pair. So late in the game on Friday, Cowton switched up a couple of the uh, line mates. He put Drake Kajula on the top line with Kane and Taves and brought Nylander down to the fourth line. He also put Slater Cuckoo up with Duncan Keith towards the end of the game and put Eric Gustafson down with, at the time, Dennis Gilbert, who has been sent to Rockford. Um, interesting that he reverted back to the original lines. I don't think it's a bad thing, um, but I think what he was looking for late in the game with those changes, especially with Kajula coming up to the top line, was a little bit of a burst of energy. I think the Hawks had a little bit of trouble getting their legs in that first game of the season. Uh, a lot of feeling out was part of it as well. Both teams commented about how poor the ice was, but look, Alex Nylander starts the scoring for the Blackhawks and uh, looked the part when he was playing on that top line. I thought he played pretty well, and I think he deserves to get at least another look for one game on the top line there. The other thing about Nylander is I'm not sure you want him anywhere but the top two lines. I don't know what he provides you you know, with a checking line with David Kampf or on a fourth line with Ryan Carpenter. Nylander strikes me as the kind of guy who has to play up top. And if he's not able to do that, he'll probably find himself scratched more often than not. I want him there. I want him to have every opportunity to win that job. And maybe, just maybe, there will be times where it doesn't look great, where you want more from Alex Nylander, where there's plays where you sort of put your head in your hands and say, dude, what are you doing? Like, what are you looking at? What are you, where's the effort defensively? 
that's going to be an issue for him. And it's something he's going to have to work through. And if he's going to be a mainstay NHL player, it is really up to Alex Nylander. I said that last week. He's his own worst enemy. If he chooses to participate at full speed and compete at a high level, game in, game out, there's no reason he should not be a 40, 50 point scorer this year with an even higher ceiling going forward. But if he's going to coast and drift, look, you create your own chances. Say what you want about Patrick Kane's commitment to playing defense, but he's also savvy enough to make non-physical defensive plays. He knows where the puck's going to be. He can strip a puck. He can chase a guy from behind and take it away. It's not all about when I say intensity, when I say commitment and all those things, I'm not saying go light a guy up in the corner. I'm not saying drop the gloves. I'm saying find a way to get the puck back. Whatever way it may be, go find a way to do it. Alex Nylander is most effective when he has the puck. When he realizes that, things are going to go really, really well for him. So we move down the line. I liked what we saw from the Strom, DeBrinkett, Shaw line. Two of those guys were in my uh, positives from the game. I think two of those guys really stood out. Uh, as we move on through the podcast here, we're going to do three stars of the week Thursdays where I'll pick three players every week and sort of isolate on them. I would say early candidates, as there's only going to be two games played by Thursday night, I think DeBrinkett will definitely be one. And I think Andrew Shaw has brought a lot to this team. And a lot of people have focused on that penalty he took, and it was not great. But he did all those things you need him to do, like I said on Monday's podcast. He played physically, screened the goalie. I like the combination of that line because you've got Strom, who is solid in faceoffs, who has a knack for playmaking and can also put the puck in the back of the net. He's also willing to go, now that he's sort of learned, he talked about this last season, that learning to play in front of the net was an adjustment for him. Now that he's made that adjustment, he's gotten pretty good at it. So you've got him willing to do all sort of things as a center, which is essential. Andrew Shaw is there to go dig the pucks out of the corner, and both of those guys can look for Alex Dabrinkit, who is great at finding open space on the ice. Just tremendous. That One of the advantages of being as small as Alex Dabrinkit is, is he can sort of slip in and out of traffic without being noticed very much, even though if it was me coaching against that line, I would know where the hell he is all the time. It's always not that simple in the chaos of a hockey game. Dabrinkit has a knack for finding the open spaces on the ice. Strom, especially, and Shaw have the ability to get those pucks to him, and he's going to get fat uh, scoring goals from their hard work. So I really like that second line. I hope it sticks together for a long time. The third line, and as far as third lines go, you could do a hell of a lot worse than this. David Camp, who I sort of bagged on on Monday's show, and I didn't really mean it that way. I just think that he's he's just such a, a replacement level guy, but he's very solid. He's a competitor. He's, you know, he can play center or wing. He does a lot of things well. Nothing great, but also nothing terrible. You put Brandon Saad, who on a lot of teams would probably be on a, one of the top two lines. You put him in there, and Dominic Kubelik, who has been a uh, very impressive in his tenure as a Blackhawk so far. He looked good in the season opener despite not uh, getting on a score sheet. I thought he played a very solid game. So that's a really solid third line. And the fourth line, I don't have too much of a feel for yet. Just because it's one game, um, you know, I always like Drake Kajula. I like the energy he provides. I think there's some offensive upside for Kajula as his career goes forward. I'm just, I don't know really what to say about Carpenter or Smith yet. Smith's a longtime guy. He's a proven NHL player. He's one of those north and south guys that's going to grind away minutes for you. 
finish checks, go win puck battles. You can never have too many guys like that. Well, you actually can. If you had a t- whole team of Zach Smiths, you wouldn't win too much. But having a guy or two or three like that on your team is a good thing. Um, but this is it. That's your fourth line. It's going to be Carpenter and Smith and whoever they put at wing with those two probably for the entire season. So not too upset about that. Defensive pairings, Duncan Keith and Eric Gustafson, they've been together a long time, uh, but something to watch. I thought Keith had a pretty tough game Thursday in Prague. If he's going to start to struggle defensively, you're going to have to find someone else to put him with. He's not going to be able to hang with Gustafson. He's not going to be able to make up for Gustafson's mistakes anymore. So you're going to need to find, if Keith doesn't sort of get back to where he was last season, you're going to have to find an answer there. But for now, I'll give it another game, a handful of games, to see if they can get right, especially if Duncan Keith can get right. The second pairing of Olimata and Brent Seabrook has been surprisingly good. From the moment they were put together in the preseason, they've stood out. They've been the best pair. And like we talked about earlier, Connor Murphy returning to the lineup very likely on Thursday with Slater Cuckoo as his uh, defense partner. Cuckoo had a solid game. Again, very, very happy to see Connor Murphy back in the lineup for the Blackhawks. They're a better team with him on the ice, and hopefully he's healthy, probably not fully healthy, but healthy enough to come out and contribute and play maybe you know somewhere between you know 16 and 19 minutes to take some of that pressure and some of that ice time off of Duncan Keith and Eric Gustafson, both of which were over 24 minutes in Prague. This is Locked On Blackhawks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And we are going to wrap up our tour of Central Division foes with what a lot of people feel is the uh, favorite in the Central Division. That's the Colorado Avalanche. Ryan S. Clark from The Athletic and KOA Radio joins us. Follow him on Twitter at Ryan underscore S underscore Clark. Ryan, thanks for taking a few minutes today. Appreciate it. Hey, no problem, Jay. Thank you so much for having me. All right, so let's get right to it. The Avalanche are one of the strongest teams in the Western Conference. Went over some Bovada odds on my show last week, and they were far and away the favorites for the Western Conference. Why are they the favorites in your mind, and what could be a roadblock for the Avalanche uh, in the season ahead here? Really a lot of it is what they've done since that run that really started in late February with Philip Grubauer getting a shutout over the Nashville Predators, how it carried into the rest of the regular season, the, the postseason run where they beat the Flames in five and pushed the Sharks to seven, and then everything they did in the offseason by getting Nazem Kadri, uh, Andre Burakovsky, Pierre-Edward Belmare, Jonas Donskoy. I mean, they've done so many things that when you look at what they added on top of what was already there in the form of Landeskog, McKinnon, Rontanen, and you think about what Kale McCarr could be as well. It's a team that everyone looks at and goes, okay, a lot has changed. Now, that, those are the reasons why it's fair to say people feel so high on the avalanche. But if there's a roadblock or, or roadblocks, plural, there's one that comes to mind, and it would be goaltending. Now, that's not really anything new with this team, just because when you look at last season, the discussion was, who wins the net, Simeon Varlamov or Philip Grubauer? That's not a question anymore. This is Philip Grubauer's net. But the two questions that do come up, Jay, are this. The first being, 
How will Philip Grubauer respond to being a full-time number one goaltender in the NHL? It's something that he hasn't done since he played with the Hershey Bears in the AHL, and that's been a while now. So there's going to be some intrigue to see, can he play, you know, 50 to 55 times a year? But then the second is his backup, Pavel Francouz. And Francouz is a little bit of a different story. He's a 29-year-old who's going to be an NHL rookie this season. He had two games that amounted about to, let's say, an hour's worth of work as he filled in last year when Varlamov got injured and he came in relief from Grubauer. But when you think about his trek, the last three years, he's gone from being the KHL best goaltender. The Avalanche were the only team that offered him a contract. He spends last year in the AHL where he becomes an all-star while playing with the Colorado Eagles. And now he's going to be an NHL backup. And he's going to do it at a point in time where, while yes, we've seen smaller goalies in this league like Anton Hudobin, UC Saros and Yaroslav Halak have success. He does it as a 29-year-old who's six feet tall and weighs about 180 pounds. So if you're looking for a question mark with this team, that's the consensus right now. All right, a name you mentioned uh, right off the hop has my interest very much. I have always been a big fan of Nazem Kadri, and I think part of the expectations he faced in Colorado, or, I'm sorry, in Toronto, um, maybe held him back a little bit to start. Over the last few years, he's been really, really great. I feel like this is a guy who in a media city with less attention, less scrutiny, could really, really thrive. How do you see him fitting into the abs this year? You know, it goes back to something Ray Ferraro said for a story we just ran at The Athletic, and it's this. Kadri has a boldness to his game, and the way Ray Ferraro described it was, he's like, I mean this in the nicest sense of the word. Nathan McKinnon has this arrogance the way he plays in the sense of, I'm going to go here on the ice, and you can't stop it. And he's like, that's the way Kadri plays. And he's like, there's a boldness the Avalanche showed last season in the playoffs that he feels Kadri can kind of enhance throughout the whole year. And when you look at kind of what's been presented to Kadri, I mean, it's simple. You're talking about someone who's the bona fide, clear choice, second-line center. You're talking about someone who's going to get uh, minutes on power play one in the middle. I mean, filling that middle role within the 1-3-1 has kind of been a little bit of a difficult thing for Jared Bednar. I mean, clearly you know you know, the rest of those roles with McKinnon, Landeskog, as well as Ronson. But this year you add Kadri in the middle. You have Makar replacing Tyson Berry running point, And it gives you a power play that last year was seventh that people think, could this be maybe you know, a top five unit, maybe even top three, who's to say? But the thing with Kadri is this. They're going to rely on the fact that he has playoff experience. They're going to rely on the fact that he's a bona fide second-line center who can score 30 goals, who can create for himself and for others. But not only that, but he's part of this collection of free agents, Jay, that they've added the last two years, like Matt Calvert, Ian Cole, Belmare, Donskoy, uh, you name it, who all have this significant playoff experience who they've been in these situations. And for a team that just went through the semifinal round, having that experience on top of those other players, again, adding a guy like Burakovsky to that mix who's won a cup, it's going to help. And, of course, Philip Grubauer, too, is in that, in that discussion as well. So, look, there's a lot of opportunity for him to really kind of stand out. I mean, media attention will be interesting to see how that works. But so far, just from talking to him, I mean, to hear him speak, He's one of these kind of statesman-like figures that I think a lot of dressing rooms would certainly like to have on a team like this where there's expectations, but they're still young. And in some ways, this is a questionably proven team, if that makes sense. Looking at Bovada's odds for player awards for the 2019-2020 season, I'm looking at the Hart Trophy favorites, and I see some common names at the top. Connor McDavid, 13-4, Nikita Kucherov, 5-1, Sidney Crosby, 7-1, and Nathan McKinnon, Nine to one. He's ahead of Alice Ovechkin, Austin Matthews, Taylor Hall, 
uh, Patrick Kane locally. Uh, McKinnon seems poised for. He's already a great player, one of the I think a top ten player in the league, no questions asked. But if the Avalanche have this breakout year, a lot of people are expecting them to have. Nathan McKinnon can reach heights of fame and celebrity in the NHL uh, that Colorado hasn't really seen since Joe Sackick or Peter Forsberg left. How do you feel he's ready to embrace, um, you know, kind of a starring role in the league? It's interesting because you could say that conversation really began two years ago when he finished second in Hart Trophy voting to Taylor Hall. And last year, it just intensified. Whereas if you think about it this year, there is going to be more attention because, you know, you think about that Hart Trophy season, they were coming off of a 48-point campaign. No one really knew what to expect. And all right. of a sudden, he explodes for this big season. They barely get into the playoffs. The following season, the thought is they barely got in last year. They made a little bit of improvements, but there's still question as to whether or not they'll get in. They get in, and he's one of their biggest stars in the late season and in the playoffs. You come around to this year, people are paying attention to this team. And not only that, but again, not being funny here, but in terms of his visibility – the Avalanche are going to be on national television on NBC and NBCSN 12 times. And that's the kind of national exposure this team has not seen in ages. And as it relates to the regular season, on top of, of course, the stadium series game at Air Force against the Los Angeles Kings. So there's going to be plenty of visibility for Nathan McKinnon in the United States, just because when you think about his profile in Canada, I mean, clearly he's huge. I mean, we did a story about this last year, and he even said, you know, when I walk outside in, in, in Cole Harbor, you know, I have to look and think about if people know me, whereas if in Denver he can walk his dog in, in plain sight and no one will come up to him or say a thing because he's just allowed to have that sort of, uh, you know, incognito approach here. So, again, it's going to be one of those things where if he can have the numbers people expect for him to have, this is a team that can win games. But more importantly, the fact that they now have this platform on which, like they've seen in many years, it's going to enhance his case. But, again, and like you said with the odds, the competition is tough. I mean, Connor McDavid is a threat every time he steps onto the ice. People are looking at Kucherov and the Lightning thinking, okay, is this the year where they make amends and fix those mistakes? But then again, you never know. You might see someone that no one expects come out of nowhere to really kind of challenge for this thing. But if you're Nathan McKinnon, these have got to be the strongest preseason odds, not only in terms of what Vegas says, but in terms of looking at the overall landscape that he's had in his career in terms of being a league MVP sort of player. All right, Ryan, before we wrap up, we've been doing this with all of our guests from around the Central Division. What is your take from, uh, I guess you'd say, a mile high? <laughs> That's clever by me. Uh, give myself some credit there. Uh, on the Blackhawks, what do you see shaking out in Chicago this year? Intrigue. I think this is a team that you look at them and you can see the potential, but there's still question marks. I mean, I think everybody looked at what they did last year, more specifically Alex it, and you look at him and go, this could be something. You take what he's done. You, of course, look at the history of Taze and Kane. You, you wonder what that defense will look like, and especially goaltending. And, you know, this is a team that looks like it can be above 500. Now, whether or not they challenge the playoffs is difficult because there was a sequence last year when it seemed like everyone and their mom in the Central Division really had a chance of trying to grab one of those two final wildcard spots. But, again, it's one of those things where you expect the Blackhawks to be good, but as to whether or not they make the postseason, I mean, that's really the hard thing to figure out because, I mean, let's call it like it is. I think if you were asking everyone to take a collective sample of who do you think makes it from the Central Division, I mean, Dallas is in that discussion. Yep. Lewis is in that discussion. Colorado is in that discussion. Nashville's in that discussion. Granted, Winnipeg has had a little bit of a tumultuous offseason, to put it mildly, but that's a team that's in that discussion as well. 
I mean, people have had their questions about the Wild, but you never know because, again, that's a team that can be a little bit closer than you think, and the Blackhawks look like they could be in that same category. So that's not going to be an easy team to beat. Again, they should be a team that finishes above 500. But as for whether or not they get the playoffs, I think that's really the million-dollar question everyone's waiting to see get answered. All right, Ryan, thank you so much for joining us on Locked on Blackhawks. Follow Ryan on Twitter at Ryan underscore S underscore Clark. Read his work for The Athletic. Everyone who's a sports fan should be subscribed to The Athletic. I don't work for them. They don't pay me. It is the best resource for sports writing in the country. Maybe in the world. Maybe in the universe. So subscribe to The Athletic. They've got sales all the time. And find his work as well on KOA Radio. Ryan, thanks so much for joining me. Really appreciate it. Hey, you got it. Thanks for having me. That was Ryan S. Clark. He covers the avalanche for The Athletic. Follow him on Twitter at Ryan underscore S underscore Clark. We thank him for his time and for joining us on Lockdown Blackhawks. And that's going to wrap up this episode of the podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Hit me up on Twitter at LO underscore Blackhawks. Email LockedOnBlackhawks at gmail.com. And don't forget, leave those voicemails 708-653-0572, 708-653-0572. And like I said at the onset of the podcast, make sure you tell a friend about Lockdown Blackhawks. Make sure you tell them about the Lockdown Podcast Network. If they have a favorite professional team, chances are there's a Lockdown Podcast for them. So let them know. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review no matter where you listen to your podcast. Subscriptions help, reviews help, ratings help, all those things. So we appreciate it. Whatever you feel like doing, whatever you feel like uh, contributing, it always goes a long way to help. So with that, going to wrap things up. This is Jay Zawoski on Lockdown Blackhawks on the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day.